like making some serious money. So at the end of Awesome, guys. Well, I appreciate everyone that did join uh, for hopping on here. There might still be people, people trickling in. We posted into the community and we posted the, the groups publicly. So we'll see if people join, but all good. Everything will be recorded for everyone to view regardless or not. But um, we're going to be interviewing a good friend of ours, Dan McGill. He also is in Vancouver here. Um, he's a part of our mastermind. And, and that's how I got introduced to him. Um, I know that we had Andre on our um on one of these calls as well in a similar capacity Andre just before dan had exited out of his business for 500 grand and dan followed him um in less time with a 600 grand exit so we're pretty much just going to interview him to give you guys perspective in regards to one helping you understand opportunity and what amazon could potentially bring within a two-year time frame two you know the struggles challenges things along those lines and just like overall strategies that helped him get up to the point in regards to where he was at in order to exit um, and then just, you know, what, what, what his, uh, what his story is going to be moving forward, what he plans to do, things along those lines. So Dan, I'll get you to introduce yourself, give us a little bit of background. Um, and to be honest, I don't really even know, um, you know, prior to Amazon, what you were doing, things along those lines, but starting prior to Amazon, getting into Amazon and then kind of where you're at current state. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, prior to Amazon, I basically had a Shopify store, um, and I was sort of selling like a fad kind of product. Um, basically, they were fancy weed pipes. <laughs> um, so kind of kind of hard to like um, advertise because Facebook doesn't allow um, like sort of smoking accessories or like marijuana accessories to be advertised. So all of the advertising had to be done through influencers. So essentially I would just send like these like marijuana influencers, like these fancy weed pipes and uh, <laughs> they would like promote them. And um, it was pretty good. Like I, at the beginning I was like killing it, um, making a lot of sales. The profit margin was like ridiculous. Cause I would, I would buy them for like $10 uh, a piece and sell them for like 90. Um, so it was like insane margins. Um, and that just allowed me to like build up a little bit of like savings, cash reserve, um, and uh, allowed me to get like a WeWork kind of office because um, I wanted to have an office, but I didn't want to commit to like a year long lease um, because yeah. it was so like up and down, like this influencer posts uh, with the product and then, you know, a bunch of sales come in and then the next week it's like pretty quiet. So I just couldn't commit to like a year long lease. So I did, I went with like the WeWork thing. And at the time WeWork was like really new. It was like the first uh, WeWork in Vancouver that opened. <clears throat> so I got like a really good rate and stuff. And uh, basically I was working at WeWork late. They had like free beers on tap. So I would always like have like three beers after working <laughs> <laughs> and uh just, just like take advantage of the, all the free stuff there. And uh, Tom was actually doing like, a, I guess, a, I guess it was like sort of like a pitch for his course um, at WeWork. And that's sort of how I got introduced to Amazon. Um, Cause he was like, he was like saying like, Oh, I make all this profit or whatever. And I talked to him after. So that's kind of how I got started with, uh, with Amazon. 
And uh, my first product was also in the knee, in, in the weed niche. Um, it was just like basically weed packaging. So I sort of understood uh, the whole weed niche because I had a business in there prior and uh, the numbers look good on Amazon. And it, it was like similar thing, like costs not a lot to manufacture. And then the margins were really good. So uh, just kind of just scaled it up from, from there and just kept like adding a product as soon as like I got my money out of the first one kind of thing. Cool. I'm curious. Um, did you go to post-secondary or anything schooling or, or anything along those lines? Did you work any kind of job prior to getting into e-com? Um, so I worked at a car dealership for like not very long um, just to save up some money. Um, basically I was just like <laughs> power washing cars. And, and then um, went to BCIT uh, for like four months uh, doing like an accounting type program and I just wasn't wasn't enjoying it and uh oh no it was just me and my buddy and um you know he was always like oh you can't drop out like you're gonna regret it this and that and then now he's <laughs> telling me like I wish I dropped out <laughs> I love it yeah we see a massive gap in that as well Eric um to be honest, you know, we, we went to post-secondary and we used some of the skills, but, you know, getting into a corporate job was completely different than a lot of the things that we learned. And you gained the best experience working in the industry or doing things uh, for yourself and learning from there. Um, so in regards to e-com, what was your reasoning to get into e-com, e-commerce in the, in the first place? And when was that? Was that in 2016, 2017? Uh, yeah, something like that. So... Basically, um, my girlfriend, she decided that she wanted to go to school at UBCO and, uh, and I was like taking a year off at the time. So she, she like got a dorm room in uh, Kelowna and stuff. And I was like, oh, I want to like go live in Kelowna, but I don't have like a job or anything. So like the gears started turning <laughs> and, uh, I was, that was sort of like my, I started like trying to figure out how to make money like from my computer um because it was it was tough to like I don't know like take a bus from UBCO into like Kelowna um town and like do that I didn't want to do that like every day so I just was like, trying to figure out how to make money online um and uh the first thing I tried it was like almost what like what Zan is talking about now uh it's like basically you have except he's doing it with Walmart, but basically you would like list a product on eBay from Amazon and then somebody would buy it on eBay and then you would like ship it to them from Amazon and just like mark up the, the, pr the, the price. price of the product. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're essentially like just like a middleman and cause there's people that will just always shop on eBay. Like they won't convert to Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's like less of those people now. This was like maybe five six years ago so I was it was actually like making enough money to like pay for everything I needed um and I was like stoked about that because I didn't have to wake up and like go work a minimum wage job I could just like work from my computer ship a few products to people from Amazon <laughs> and that was it living the dream now I'm a question <laughs> One thing that I wanted to ask as well was, you know, prior to you getting into entrepreneurship or e-commerce as a whole, 
Uh, like talk about a little bit about your childhood. I don't know if it's sensitive on your end, but did you ever think that you were going to be like a business owner or an entrepreneur or were you ever doing things um, that striked like entrepreneurship in your head? Um, or was it just something was like, you know, out of convenience, I'm going to get into doing things and selling things online. Um, hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I just always, uh, was like pretty good at like saving money. Um, like some of my friends, they would just like spend every single like dollar they had like in high school. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh with me like I would try and save as much as as possible so I think there was like a just like a like almost like a Google defensive list. saving <laughs> yeah uh kind of thing <laughs> uh, <laughs> but not like crazy like I never um like I know some people that like started a landscaping business or something when I was like um when I like we, when we were pretty young and I, I never like did anything like that but I, I wanted to be like my own boss but everyone in my family like nobody started their own business everybody was like working a uh, corporate job or like was a teacher or something like that like nobody like literally nobody in my family has ever been an entrepreneur which is crazy but it was still like appealing to me um, mm -hmm. to do that cool you have a very similar story to us in terms of hearing about Amazon. It was the same thing. Tom pitched us um, actually in one of our sales class at BCIT. We went out and stepped out of the, uh, of the classroom and talked to him and our family growing up. We, we didn't have anyone that even tapped into business in any capacity. It was more technical knowledge, engineering, sciences, things along those lines. Uh, so we know the feeling to say the least. Um, I want to dive more into the Amazon journey. All these people are going to be selling on Amazon fairly quickly here. So in terms of, you know, just challenges going from zero to hero and uh, uh, exiting for 600 grand, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced and you think are fairly common for these guys to just be cognitive of and be aware of that this most likely will happen in the modern, modern Amazon world? Um. I think a lot of people like if it's their first product, they won't, they will like launch something that's fairly similar, like kind of like a me too product. I feel like a lot of people will launch a me too product. Like they'll see something uh, selling really well and then they won't change like anything about that product. Um, so they're almost like copying somebody else's products. Uh, and I think I think that can like get you into trouble. Um, but then on the other end, like you can get into trouble if there's no like data to back up your new design, right? So it's kind of like this balance of like launching something new to the marketplace, but also not going like too extreme where like nobody wants it. Um, so yeah, like using things like uh, surveying, um, like that software, uh, Pick Pick Foo. Pick Foo. yeah, just like stuff like that. You would like, you want to like pull your, your design thesis against like one of the best sellers on page one and then see which one like people kind of vote for. And if yours is like over like 70% and that's a good sign that your product's going to be, um, successful once it gets onto page one. Um, cool. And then I think also people kind of rush the 
finding a factory stage um, or like testing samples. Like I talked to one guy and he like showed me his product and he's like, like the sound, like we got the sample. Um, what do you think of this product? And I was, I basically told him like, I don't think this is going to sell. Like the, the design is just off. Um, I told him like, I think you should get more samples or like talk to more factories. Like, I don't think this is good enough. And then he, he was like, oh, well, we've already, we've already spent like two months, like testing samples. Like, we're just going to go ahead with it. Um, and I was like, okay, like it's up to you. And they went ahead with it and it ended up not doing well. Um, so they lost a lot more money than if they had just like, you know, talk to different factories, try and find like better quality. Um, so I think people like try and rush that stage. Um, sometimes it just takes time to like go through factories and like test samples and stuff. Yeah, totally. Mm. I stress that a lot with students as well, because at the end of the day, you want to have a high quality product and do everything you can to pick up those flaws so that your customers don't pick them out for you. Um, you know, sampling and we were on a, we did a podcast this morning with, uh, he has two brands that are both seven figures. Um, he runs out of a warehouse and everything like that, uh, but directly on Amazon. And his biggest tip was exactly that. There's never enough sampling. If you don't feel confident with it, keep going back to the drawing board until you get it perfect. Because again, you know, once it's in Amazon and especially us living in Canada, there's only so much that you can actually do to resurrect a listing and you could potentially just completely flop it. Uh, a negative review can be there forever. So it's, um, yeah, it can definitely hurt the business or the listing. And, you know, a lot of the times it leads to, you know, potential product listings just getting shut down. So don't want to be in that scenario for sure. I agree. I, I also want to just add, like, you're dealing with people from China. All these factories are pushing tons of production out the door every single month, every single day. So, you know, they have so many more clients and customers to take care of at the same time. So if you don't do your due diligence in terms of doing that sampling process, weeding out the bad suppliers, but also doing the quality control process, you could easily slip through the cracks. And the worst thing that you can do for your listing is get a bad negative review that you cannot get rid of. I know Dan, you probably dealt with some of those, but it truly impacts your sales. And you try to do as much as you can to mitigate that on the front end. It's only going to help you in the long run. Yeah, 100%. Cool. I, I do have <laughs> a guy who can get rid of reviews, but <laughs> I don't know how risky that is. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I'm curious on your end, Dan, how has Amazon changed from when you first started selling? I know it was only a few years back, but um, you know, just for the new people listening here, uh, instead of just hearing it from Brian and I, how has it changed and how has it impacted, you know, your growth? Because I know you're the, the product launching king here. <laughs> um i would say like the like the, all the inventory uh restrictions and stuff has has changed um just like because i think i think people would just send in like too much inventory they like to just like assume that they can send the inventory in and it'll sell so then you have all of these like people sending in tons and tons of inventory then the warehouses get full um so i would say now what i'm doing differently is i'm actually if i'm launching a new product i would rather have it sell out and go out of stock than to send in too much inventory and like max out my inventory um levels so with a lot of new products like i'm just sending in 
just a small amount, like a couple hundred units, um, ranking it, letting it get reviews. And if it, you know, goes out of stock, then uh, like I can usually re-rank it pretty quickly. Um, whereas like if the product's not selling, then I have to liquidate inventory somehow. Yeah, you have to like lower the price or like do more rebates or like bump up PPC. Um, all of that kind of stuff affects your margins more than just being out of stock for two weeks, I think. Totally. That's a, that's a valid point. I know that the the new, and that's definitely, I'd say more valid for people that have a ton of SKUs, brand new sellers, and you're not going to have a, a second SKU coming in there. So typically storage limits will be fine, but I think that's a good strategy as well, for sure. Um, in regards to, you know, you chatted about differentiating your products, um, other than market testing and testing designs, how did you come up with, uh, with the designs and things along those lines? Cause a lot of the people on this call are, are at that stage they're trying to find differentiation points, things along those lines. Um, yeah. Well, what's your process in terms of doing that? Um, so I found that particular design for my first product cause my factory, they sent me Originally, I was just going to launch like a black color uh, for the baggies and the factory sent me like, I don't know, 20 different colors with that original sample. And in the, in the colors they sent me, there was like a holographic uh, color and it was cool because it was like you would turn it different angles and like it would be reflective and stuff. And, I'll be, and I was like, oh, I think like the weed community will appreciate <laughs> this like holographic color. And uh, so I just launched that and it like took off like right away, like first month, I think it hit like 13 K in sales uh, with like not a lot of reviews. And honestly, my pictures were like pretty bad. I remember Tom, like looking at my listing and, and telling me like your pictures suck, man. And it was still selling like really well. So it was just like a good fit for that market. Um, but yeah, like just talking with your factory, I would say like, see what else they can make, see what other designs they're coming out with um, is a good option. And then um, if you're launching stuff like in home decor, like kitchen, like look at like kind of like high-end brands that are maybe not on Amazon and see like what those high-end brands um, styles and branding kind of look looks like. Cause they have like a team of designers that are, that are making their products and you can like sort of not copy, but like see what the gold standard is and then try and get your factory to make something similar. Yeah. I think that's a great way because at the end of the day, they've already validated the market with those designs. So getting inspiration rather than taking, but getting inspiration and kind of mimicking in that, it's just another form of market validation at the end of the day. So um, that, that's good to know in regards to like day-to-day -day operations, um, were there certain things that you did on a daily basis or had your team do on a daily basis, um, that just, you know, kept the end goal in mind and exit in mind, um, whether that be, you know, tracking your daily sales, tracking your profits, a PL, things along those lines, were there things in terms of structure that helped you just be more cognitive of like a, like a more higher level view of your business? Uh, I'm not, I'm not really a huge like structure person. Um, <laughs> I think there's like two kind of people. There's like people that gravitate towards being like orderly and stuff. And then there's people that gravitate towards like chaos. And I would say that I gravitate more towards chaos. I just like randomness and like, kind of like, you know, that whole, 
yeah yeah so like I don't really I'm probably pretty bad at like um that kind of stuff but I knew the margins were good like I would double check the margins um and and just make sure that that that's solid and then just kind of like make sure I'm not spending too much on like marketing or or or, or sort of just like monitor that a little bit and make sure that um that like for every dollar I'm spending, I'm late making money. Um, but yeah, I didn't really plan to exit. Like my plan was just to scale it up until I had enough like passive income to like just live like my lifestyle. And then when I heard that um, Andre exited, it made me like really consider exiting because at the time um, my girlfriend and I, we were like looking at buying a place and it was just kind of hard with like self-employment income to like uh because like a lot of the income gets put back into like launching new products right so it was sort of hard to get pre-approved or like whatever um so I was like hey I'll just sell this business and then I'll start a new one um and then uh and then we can buy a place <laughs> so that's sort of like was the thought process and um yeah, I didn't really prepare to sell the business. I was just running it like I was going to keep it uh, forever. Um, but yeah, maybe that's why I had like so many different SKUs because <laughs> I just was like trying different stuff. Um, but this next business, I'm definitely um, building it to sell. Um, so all of the products for, I have like multiple Amazon accounts now and each account is going to have like a very specific niche that it's specialized in um, that way if I sell it I can't like when I sign the non-compete I can still have all these other stores uh, selling mm. in different niches um, so my plan now going forward is just to like build and exit um, and then just rinse and repeat cool what are you doing right. differently in terms of helping you you know now that you've done that exit you know the process of what it takes what are some of the things that you are changing within this new business now um, that is going to help you prepare for an exit um just being like really just investing into like all of the photos investing into like the listings more and then just um i would say just like pushing harder with more product launches than I was before um, because before it was like, oh, if I launch a new product, then I can't take $10,000 out of the business and, and buy this and that, you know? So before I was like, kind of like looking at it as like, what can I take out of the business? And now I'm looking like, what can I, how can I scale it um, faster to the point where I can exit for like a million or 2 million? Like that's kind of like my goal now. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm more like, like putting into it as opposed to taking out of it and uh just being like super careful with like reviews and um customer service and like upvoting downvoting all these different reviews stuff like that cool i'd love to talk about variations and because i know i know your brand obviously uh like variations um at the time when you sold your business how many SKUs did you have and um what was kind of like your 
goal, I guess, per se, in terms of like, you know, how many products you want to launch per year, um, just so people can know, like, okay, like once you get it, like once you get a product launch and you crack the code on it, just like you mentioned, like you're building a business every two years or every one to two years, you're selling, you're doing it again over and over again. Um, so yeah, let's talk about like SKUs and launching products and what that looks like on your end. Cause I know, I feel like almost every time that we talk, uh, you're always launching something or testing something. Yeah. So with the business I sold, I think it had like nine different SKUs. Um, and I would have launched more the thing. It was just like, it was just like a cash thing. Like mm -hmm. before I exited, I didn't have a crazy amount of cash. So I had to kind of like wait until the profits come back and then launch a new product, wait until the profits come back, launch a new product kind of thing. Um, so yeah, nine SKUs. Um, it was really easy to just launch with the same factory. Um, yeah. Cause like, it was like different colors and then different like product types. Like they also made uh, shipping envelopes. So you could make like basically a waterproof shipping envelope and that sold uh, pretty well. And I think it helped diversify the product line a little bit while still being like really related to just packaging in general. Um, yeah, and then now uh, I launched this one store, I've launched like probably seven pro new products um, within the last two or three months. Um, wow. So I'm going hard. I just want to get that. <laughs> I just want to get that exit, man, uh, again. And uh, it's crazy. Like I've already got that, that one store to the point of my business I exited. And I got there really quickly because I just had like cash to throw at it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, once I would say like once you exit once, it's a lot easier to scale like your next stores and you can um, you can build it a lot bigger, a lot faster. Cool. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, you know, looking back at that now, um, you know, cash flow, a lot of people talk about cash flow and like, um, you know, when you should take money out of the business and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and a lot of people in this call and a lot of people in our group are going to be in a situation similar to you where uh, people want to quit their jobs pretty quickly, for example, and they want to take money out of the business. Uh, why don't you speak to how you did that and, you know, any like method to the madness in terms of like budgeting for a salary, for example? Yeah, so I would like try and write off pretty much anything I could um, <laughs> under the business. So like, <laughs> like car leases, uh, like eating out and stuff like that just like expense everything <laughs> um <laughs> home office all that kind of stuff um and then like I I was getting like pretty good at just like taking out money for like just what I needed like pay rent pay leases eat out and just like expense as much as I can my accountant's like pretty good at that um the only thing about doing that is your income will probably be uh, lower because you're like expensing everything so if you're planning on like buying a condo or buying a house you have to like keep keep that in mind um Fair. yeah and then just like being really mindful of like before you launch a new product just make sure you have money to like reorder inventory for all your current products um maybe just see like if there's anywhere you can be spending on marketing for like your current products before you like launch a new product 
Um, Cause yeah, once like some new products, like they'll just take up a lot of cash flow, and uh, yeah. you just got to be like a bit careful with that. Um, if like, I, I would almost say like, like, like try and launch less products at the beginning until you get your exit. And then once you have like cash, like a lot of cash you can put in, then um, you can like go harder with expanding. But I would just like, just a couple products is all you need to like really scale up and like have a nice exit. Reap the benefits. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think Eric and I did a good job with just, you know, putting money in the beginning and we did exactly the same approach as you. We waited for the cash flow to sit in the bank and then we reinvested into the next product waited and then reinvested into the next product, things along those lines. You can definitely do it as long as you're cognitive of that. And you can be in a position like you were, you were what it seems like you were self-employed that whole time you're running that business. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's not like I had like super high expenses. Like I was, um, I was renting like a three, three, like a pretty big three bedroom condo. And then I was like renting some of the rooms out to like um, some friends or like people. So like I was getting my uh, expenses down just by like living with multiple people. Nice. Um, so I didn't have like huge amount of expenses. Um, so I don't know how it would be if you are someone with a lot of expenses, like how stressed, how much stress that would put onto the business cash flow side. Um, but if your margins are good, like, and you're not going to launch more products like you can probably take a decent amount out yeah absolutely i agree um you talked about launching seven products in your new brand already let's talk about product research criteria what do you look for in a product other than the fact that you need to differentiate and not launch a me too but are there specific components that really stand out to you that are like hey this product is going to do well because you've definitely cracked the code in terms of finding some winners and things along those lines so um i'd love to chat about that yeah, a lot of it is just um, is using like uh, polling and stuff like that, just like to get a lot of different votes on like uh, which design is going to sell. And like I've I've had good launches, but I've also had flat la launches as well, where like I expected the product to uh, sell a lot more, and it's just kind of flat. It's not necessarily losing money, but it's just like not doing as well as I want. I would want. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, all of the products that have done like really well um, basically were new to like page one. Um, like they weren't, they weren't on page one yet. So, you know, maybe someone on page five had launched that design or something, but they don't know how to rank. Um, so a lot of the products that did well, like they're like very new to like, the market and so even though there's like not a lot of reviews on the product people are still willing to buy it because they like that that design um mm. so i guess it, it's a bit risky because like if it if it doesn't uh if it doesn't do well then like because you're you're basically going off of like polling data um so i'm like i'm i am i i know it's a bit more risky but i'm willing to like take that risk because like if you're the only person on page one with that design, then it'll take like the next person, like three months to copy you. And then at that point you already have like a review head start. So you can kind of just like push ahead um, kind of thing. 
Cool. Do you look into like um, a, a certain review count? Um, do you look at a certain threshold in terms of revenue? Like what's your ballpark in terms of like, hey, this product is, what, is something that I want to move forward with? Um, yeah, I don't really, honestly, I don't really look at review count. Um, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> unless like, unless it's like, like if you want to launch a product and it's like sort of a newer like maybe if it's like a high ticket item or something and like everybody on page one has like 20 reviews, but everyone is like somehow selling like $50,000 a month with 20 reviews, then, then I would be like looking at review count. Um, but a lot of the niches that I'm launching in, like the people on page one, they have like, you know, thousands of, of reviews and stuff. Um, so I'm not really competing on reviews. I'm like competing on the design aspect. Interesting. I think that's, that's the importance of, of. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Eric. I was gonna say that's the importance Glass. of um, having like a good product offering or some form of differentiation point because you know people if there's demand for the products regardless of how competitive it is if you're coming out with something that's better people are gonna buy it right. Um, and I love how you're doing like polling and testing beforehand because you know at least you're trying to mitigate as your, your risk as much as possible. It may not be you know, super, super on point, but you know, you're doing your best. And that's all that we can do when we are in business. Business is about risk. And a lot of the time risks lead to, to large rewards. And I think you're a living testament to that. I also think that it's a testament towards the fact that anything can sell on Amazon, regardless of it. There's just so much demand that just think of how much, how much of the market share that you can take, how much of that pie you can take, even if it's a sliver of it and it can produce you five to $10,000, it's still a winning product. You know what I mean? Yeah. And eventually you'll find that home run and you'll crack the code and you have something that takes off. Um, but I think it's personally just diversifying and adding and scaling through your product line. And that's what's going to build that sustainable business for you. Yeah, exactly. Cool. cool. Um, going back to the exit process, um, you know, you kind of just like Andre did it and you're like, I'm going to dive into it. What kind of things did you have to prepare on the front end? Um, and I know that you had to go through interviews. What was that time frame as well? Like what did that whole entire process look like to exit? Um, yeah, so it took like, there was, there was like probably four different people that I talked to at Empire Flippers. And um, the first guy sort of that's uh, your business, like does all the number crunching, just make sure that the numbers make sense. Um, so he'll get API access to your Amazon account and like make a spreadsheet based on like your revenue. Um, and then you kind of fill out like your cost of the product, you fill out the cost of the C freight. Um, and then he makes this like big spreadsheet with like all the months of your sales. Um, and then he also like tracks like your PPC, PPC uh, spend um, and like takes that out. And then any expenses you're supposed to like add in there um, and he'll make this big spreadsheet. And then after the spreadsheet is made, um, that process will probably take like two weeks to get all those numbers hammered out. And then after that, they'll start booking calls with uh, interested buyers. Um, so the buyers already know about your business. They like know what the niche is. They looked at the spreadsheet. Um, and then the buyers have also been vetted to make sure that they have the money to actually buy um, the business. So it's not just like, it's not like a random person can like come in and like learn everything about your business and then copy you. So it's actually people that have been proven to have the money like in an account. Um, and then you, 
I, I called, I did calls with maybe four or five people. And, um, and then this, this one guy, he was like pretty, <laughs> he didn't really ask that much about the business. He, he just like <laughs> kept, kept trying to like lowball me. And I was like, no, no, no. And then eventually he offered like what I was happy to, to go with. Um, because originally they tried to list the business at 38x of the monthly um, profit. And then I pushed back and I was like, can we list it at like 41x of monthly profit? And they're like, sure, like we can, we can try. And, uh, and then the guy offered 38x, which was like, what was it? It was originally evaluated at. So I was just like, okay, like uh, I'll go with, like it was, I didn't know like if I should wait longer or like, cause I was, I was told also by the reps that um, the longer, the longer it stays like on the market, um, the more chance you have of like getting a lower offer because people assume that people already came in, looked at the business and decided to pass. So, mm. so it's kind of like, it's kind of like, like a house. real estate too. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. If a house has been sitting on the market for a month, people are going to assume like, um, maybe like longer than a month, like but in, Van in Vancouver a month, if it's on the market in Vancouver for a month, you're like, oh, so yeah, something's wrong with it. Right. Um, so it's same kind of thing with the, uh, so I didn't want to like wait too long. Um, so I was happy just to take the 38 X offer. Um, and yeah, I think the next one I exit, I'll try and go for, for like, well, it depends what they're, they're at, but right now some of them are selling for like 45 X. So if I, just waited a little longer potentially I could have sold it for uh 45x or something yeah man absolutely yeah. appetite I, for Amazon businesses are uh, crazy right now that's for sure absolutely yeah cool man well I, I appreciate your time I mean in regards to your future here um and and kind of like what you're going to be doing moving forward you're building a current brand I know that you've started a brand uh, off of Kickstarter um, but what else, what else do you have in, in mind? What else do you want to be doing? Uh, e-bikes, man. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's cool with the e-bikes. Um, basically, uh, one of the people that I'm partnered with, his dad um, actually worked in China uh, with these factories that are manufacturing these e-bikes. And he worked with them for like 11 years or something. So he has the like factory connects to make like a really nice solid e-bike. Um, and that was one thing that I was nervous about because just to test a sample of an e-bike from a factory is going to cost you like six, 700 us for the bike. And then like three, 400 for shipping. So like every sample is like a thousand dollars. And there's a lot of like fact, like not, like not uh, top of the line e-bike factories out there. So the fact that this guy's dad had worked <laughs> in China um, developing e-bikes for 11 years, that made me want to like jump at it because yep. I know mm -hmm. like he spent the time, he's like actually gone to these factories and like quality tested. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. And, um, and I'll probably put a decent amount of money and effort into that. And then I'll also uh, partnered with a guy to do like an investment fund for, uh, Amazon businesses. Um, so these are people that kind of, 
Um, a lot of the people that we're working with right now, they're like a bit older, they, they run other businesses and they're interested in getting started in e-commerce. And so we're like partnering with them to, to scale their Amazon businesses basically. So I'm a part of a few yeah different things. And then also just trying to build more of my own Amazon stores kind of thing. Cool. What it sounds like is you're, you're staying in the e-commerce industry. I think that's where everything's going. So I think that's the right move in regards to that, that capital funding firm, do they give you the funds and you launch their business? Is it underneath the business that you're running and you're, they're just taking a profit share? Like, what does that look like exactly? Um, yeah. So originally we would like invest with, uh, with them um, and just sort of like raise money from different uh, people that are interested in getting like a dividend payout um, for their investment. That was like sort of how we structured it at the beginning. Um, so basically like the person I partnered with, he had a lot of friends that had money that they wanted to invest in e-com, but they didn't want to actually spend the time and like launch a product. So they would like give us money and then we would basically give them a dividend every, every quarter. Um, so almost like they were loaning us the money kind of thing. Um, and we did that at the beginning. And then now what we're kind of doing is anybody who wants to partner with us and launch an Amazon store, we charge them like an upfront fee of uh, 10 grand. And then we like partner with them and like help them build it basically. So there's like a fee upfront and then, uh, and then, yeah. And then like, eventually what we're going to try and do <clears throat> is use uh, almost like funding from, from like, like, uh, like ClearBank or, or BDC and like, and use that money to build these people's businesses. Um, but yeah, that's, we, we, we're working with like maybe like 10 people right now. So it's not like super, super big, but, but we're just uh, trying to do a good job for the people we have right now. Love it. Cool, man. Well, again, appreciate the time. Um, is there any final words that you'd love to share? Um, anything that you think, you know, could be helpful for people that are just getting started or, uh, you know, just starting to sell on Amazon that you wish you knew? Um, <laughs> I would say just like be patient and uh, just keep, just keep like every day do something that will help either you learn more or like advance. Like even if your business gets like 1% better every day, then uh, that'll like really add up. And I think that's sort of like what my journey is just like, I was just like getting a little bit better every day, learning of like this thing, that thing, learning like a tip here and there. And that all just contributes to like what you know and how you can like scale your business. So if you just get like a little bit better um, every day. And then I see, I think a lot of people like they get super excited at the beginning, they launch their first product. And then, um, you know, maybe their first product doesn't do as well as they hoped, you know, they were hoping to sell $20,000 a month, and instead they're selling $5,000 a month. Um, just like, just, I would say just like keep, keep pushing forward, because that $5,000 per month product can eventually scale to where you want it to be if you if you keep pushing or you um, like on a long enough timeline. So just like being patient and uh, 
it's kind of like a marathon. I would say, yeah, totally. Amazon FBA is definitely a marathon as opposed <laughs> to like a sprint. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we're, we're the same way. It's like, I'd rather have the small wins. And, you know, we saw it firsthand, you know, we had a product that did 10 grand a month. And then once we hit a certain amount of reviews, it was like 200 and something. And it just started scaling and then it kept scaling and scaling and scaling. So in my eyes, you know, it's like, I, I use this term a lot, but trusting the process, understanding that it's going to work. And, you know, again, that first product might not work out just like you mentioned, but it's all about keeping true to what you want to and what you want to achieve and pushing forward. Cause you know that the results can get there and it's really just a product away. Right. Cause all you need is that one product that just takes off and can change your life. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Man. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it again. I hope everybody here got uh, or found some value. Um, and yeah, how can people connect with you, Dan, if that's an option or where they can, where can they find you? And Richard. <laughs> uh, just uh, Kitts Beach, man. You'll find me. Um, sometimes I'm at Rec Beach. Um, just come look for me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. At the dog park with, with Richard. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Um, what is my Instagram? <laughs> DanMcGill.ig. <laughs> there we go. All right, man. Appreciate you hopping on. Brian, anything else you wanted to mention? No, no, that's everything for me. Cool. Awesome. Sweet. All right. All right. Thanks, all right, guys. guys. Hope you guys all have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.